Welcome to this week's On The Fly podcast. I'm your host, Gene DiFilippo, and our guest this week is the very successful Director of Athletics at the University of Houston, Chris Pesman. Welcome to the show, Pez. Thanks, Gene. Uh, pleasure to be here with you and uh, looking forward to a great conversation for the next 45 minutes to an hour. You know, let's start with the University of Houston because a lot of our young listeners out there don't understand what a great history and tradition you have at Houston. Uh, I remember uh, when Guy Lewis was the coach there and you went to five final fours with Bill Yeoman as your football coach. You, you went to many, many bowl games and I was in high school. And I think in my opinion, two of the most important basketball games ever played was one with uh, the University of Kentucky, I believe it was 66, against Texas Western. And on January 20th of 68, the game of the century, the Houston Cougars versus the UCLA Bruins. Would you agree to that? Absolutely. You know, I, I it, it predates me a bit, but, you know, I, growing up here in the city of Houston, I moved here in high school. Uh, that would have been like 83, 84 um, and that was, you know, the five slam of jammer runs and also the runs with uh, Coach Yeoman. The history of this program, of this department is just, it's so, it, it, it's, the, it's so rich. You know, again, you mentioned uh, Coach Lewis and the five Final Fours. The thing that I think doesn't get talked enough about Coach Lewis and Coach Yeoman was also their integration at that time of, uh, of diverse uh, players into uh, the programs because that wasn't something that was happening. I mean, you think about the the path that Elvin Hayes uh, blazed here at the University of Houston, um, and then Coach Yeoman with the the players he brought in. Those are things that I, I don't think it talked about enough because it's it it was they were so in front of what was um, acceptable at that time in in our country, and and it just it was a door that had to be open. And then so quickly you saw other schools follow that. But, you know, that to me is something that we need to talk more about, but also just the competitive success in the department. I mean, Dave Williams golf, 16 national championships. I mean, it just, the, the, the depth of, of success here is so great, particularly with the coaches. And, you know, I, it, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. It was when I was, I played here 88 through 92 and there was a, I got invited to like a Rotary Club event and Coach Lewis was there and you know, he had been retired for probably about, I don't know, six, eight, ten years at that point. <laughs> he actually said, hey, I really like the way you play. And it was the best compliment I ever got. I don't know if he knew who I was, but it was really kind of him to say. And I still I still tell everybody that to this day. So um, it's, uh, it, it, you know, the, what they mean to us here at the university um, we're always trying to find ways to make sure that we continue to bring their names forward and, and, and keep them in the spotlight. You know, our, our basketball training facility is named after coach Lewis, um, our indoor track and field facility is named after coach Yeoman. Um, ironic because it used to be actually be our indoor football practice facility, but we converted it. But the, the amount of, of uh, talent that came through the university of Houston over those decades and the success they had and, and how that helped shape us for today is something that, I don't take for granted at all. And I'm very fortunate to be here because we stand on their shoulders. They, they helped put us in this position. You're being modest, but you were a very, very good linebacker. 
at the University of Houston and played on some very good teams. So I remember you. Let's talk <laughs> about kind. let's talk about your move to the Big Twelve. Um, first of all, uh, the significance of moving to a Power Five conference, but also what it's going to take for Houston, be it facility wise. Uh, you know, selling tickets, uh, fundraising, all the things that go with the move to the Big 12. Yeah, it, I mean, when I say it touches everything, it literally touches every aspect of our operation within athletics and, and significantly across campus. Um, gosh, where to start? Uh, you know, let's just start with facilities. Um, there, you know, we, I, I give, this goes back to when we were playing the Astrodome and Chet Gladchuk was the athletic director and we moved back onto campus um, and we were playing an old Robertson Stadium, which was a track facility. And it was an old WPA project that had had nothing done to it. It literally sat like 18,000 seats, maybe. And it had a 15 foot cyclone fence around with barbed wire around the top. And we played UCLA in that stadium. And um, it, it, it blows my mind that we did that looking back on that today, but it had to be we had to do something dramatic to have a catalyst to start moving ourselves forward. So we moved camp football back onto campus, which really started a process for us. It took a long time, uh, about another 20 years or 15 years to get the stadium built. But fortunately, about 12 years ago, we built TDCU Stadium. And that started galvanizing our alumni base with, you know, understanding that we were committed to sports here at a high level. Um, you know, we always were but we never were able to manifest that in a physical way to prove that we were doing that. And by building facilities, it helped, you know, frankly, put a tent pole on the ground and say, okay, this is where we're starting. We're building from here. And quickly over the next, you know, five years, we built almost $300 million in construction. We built the Gabby Lewis practice facility for basketball. We remodeled Rotita center, which in my opinion is one of the great basketball venues in our country, um, indoor practice facility for football, um, a, ba a baseball uh, operations center in, we um, modified and put an indoor track into our um, indoor uh, football facility that I mentioned. Uh, all these things that have helped set the stage for us today because we had to invest like that to prove that we were serious about our commitment to athletics to be able to have a chance to compete at that next level. And as you know, you think about graduating from G5 to P5, and it, I know their names, but there are operating mindsets that go around that and commitments that go around that. Um, Quickly, you know, we realized that we were going to have to do something very similar for a football program that we'd done for basketball with the standalone training facility. And so now, you know, we are waiting on board approval, but fully expected we're going to build a 140 million uh, football operations center that will house every um, fo football's everyday needs, just like basketball has. So that's that's the first step now as we start this immediate transition into the Big 12. Um, then you pivot. And I'm, I'm not trying to gloss over these other things because I could talk about an hour about facilities, but budgets, you know, we're sitting here and we're transitioning to Big 12 and we feel very healthy about where we are from a budget standpoint today. But we also know that we have to grow our budget by about, oh, a good 25 to 30 percent in the next two years. And so, you know, our revenues are going at a 45 degree angle, but our expenses are going at a 90 degree angle and trying to reconcile those two paths is something that we're spending quite a bit of time on. Um, we've been, frankly, for the last three months, doing a deep dive into a five-year look ahead of our portfolio. So then we understood, or we could understand where we have resources that we can reinvest into our programs. And again, this is operating- Go over, go over yeah. that five-part plan, because you mentioned that to me earlier, and 
I, I think that uh, everybody listening out there will be very interested in your plan. Yeah, so I apologize if I said five part, I meant five year plan, but it's probably feels like five parts and it's really like a hundred. Um, but so what we're looking at right now is we, we started looking ahead. We know what our, our graduated um, revenue distribution will be from the big 12, uh, year one, year two, and year three is a full share. Um, so we're able to model that and then also anticipate what that growth should be, uh, you know, going out five years. But then also for us, you know, we focus principally on the revenues on the front end because we knew generally we could get our hands around that with the projected growth of our department. We're, we're anticipating selling 5,000 new season tickets in football alone this next year. What's really exciting is since the time we announced the schedule um, about a week and a half ago to today, we've gotten almost 1,000 new season ticket deposits. So those are multiples. We had season ticket renewals with 173 unique renewals within that. And then our waiting list for premium seating went from, you know, it was, I think it was about 80 to over 650 people that are waiting for premium seating. That's all sold out. That's including new 10 new suites and new 10 new party decks that we're making available for this year. And then as we look ahead with our facilities, we're going to end up adding about nine, pardon me, 750 new premium seats and 14 new club or 14. I'm speaking too fast. I apologize. 750 new premium seats and 14 new suites in the new football facility that'll help service that stadium and give us a revenue that goes against the uh, the debt service of that facility. I, I mean, I could keep going. I, I don't want to, I don't know if you want me, I can. I don't want to bore you too much. Is you this enough? You're not, you're not boring okay. us at all. Um, I, talk to us about the increase in season, in, in season tickets. Um, you're, I think you're going up maybe 12 or 13% with your season tickets and, and yet they're selling, they're selling great. Yeah. So it's actually, it's, it's interesting, Gene. So one of the things that's unique for our transition is, you know, we've had a, an even conference schedule in the American, and basically we've had six home games for the last 10 years. This next year in the Big 12, we'll have seven with the benefit of Texas being one of those seven home games for us. So we're flatlining. We're saying, you know, if it was a six game season, it would be just under a 15% increase with that Texas game layered in because next year we will go from seven to six home games and year two of the Big 12. So we were trying to figure out a way to stabilize and make our growth consistent instead of having spikes. The Texas game is including that into our package at seven games. It's a 30% lift. And frankly, you know, some people are challenged by that price increase, particularly given what's going on in our economy. But by and large, everybody understands the strength of that home schedule that we have, which is everything we could hope for. And then obviously the benefit of the Texas game and that seventh home game allowed us to basically have the coverage of that, of that lift in pricing. And there, no one's batting an eye. Everybody understands the cost of doing business as we make this transition. There are times that conversation's a little bit longer explaining that to donors or season ticket holders, but by and large, everybody understands what we need to do to have our, to give ourselves a chance to be competitively successful when we make the transition, which goes to the next point of this five-year look ahead. By and large, you know, we, we're not going to be apples to apples yet with the peers that we'll be competing against from a budget standpoint. So that's what we've been really spending most of our time on is how do we give our programs the resources they need to be able to compete against the teams we're competing against. Um, we're probably about 20 to 30% light across the boarding operating budgets. And so as we're sitting here and making decisions, um, you know, funding Alston, which for us would be about a two and a half million dollar bogey. 
um, to uh, funding coaching salaries or coaching increases to budget increases. Those are conversations that we'll be having with our coaches over the next 30 days to say, okay, here's our buckets. And this is how we see attacking it. And we want your input and, and your feedback as we make those decisions. But by and large, you know, it's investing in our programs, investing in our student athletes, investing in our revenue producing efforts. And then everything else, frankly, gets ranked after that. And it's, you know, that list is probably about 100 items long of things that we know we need to fund as soon as possible. But we just have to prioritize each of those items as they come up. And some of them vary by program. Some of them vary by need student athlete need versus operational need versus administrative needs. And we've focused again, principally on revenue generation and student athlete health and welfare. And, and then after that operation budgets, and then after that salaries, because we just can't eat that whole elephant at once. We got to do it in bites. Right. Um, what an interesting football schedule this year. You open against TCU at home, which is great. You have Texas at home, but you have, you're playing 10 games in the state of Texas. Has that ever happened before? Not that I'm aware of, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. We, we only get on a plane three times, and one of those is going to Lubbock. Um, it's, it, as far as I know, we haven't had the benefit of a schedule like this in a long, long time. And the strength, again, of the home schedule for us with Oklahoma State here, um, Cincinnati, West Virginia. I mean, obviously, everybody's talking about TCU and Texas. Um, but, shoot, we open the season at home with UTSA. And, you know, they've, they've got a great program and they've got a great coach and we're not taking in that for granted at all. Uh, no. you know, we better be buckled up. Yeah. And, and that league is really, really tough with Baylor, oh, yeah. Texas tech. you got a great league. Yeah. You know what I, what I think it's lost in a lot of the realignment gene. And this is what I I'm so excited about because of our proximity is the ability for our fans to get in a car, go to Waco, go to Fort Worth, and go, you can go up and go back. And that's what I grew up with, with the old Southwest Conference. And to me, that's what it's supposed to be. And I understand the economics dictate that we have to look broader. But for us, this niche that we've been able to fall into and develop is so unique and so special. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to the next uh, few years as our fans get used to doing this again. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Those rivalries, those judicial rivalries that we grew up with, um, you know, are going to be so much fun. You know, the the banter that's going to go back and forth in the offices and in the stadiums and the arenas is going to be a lot of fun. Back to the future, as they say. <laughs> Amen. Yes, sir. Um, well, let's let's talk a little bit about um, your movement to uh, the the Big Twelve and what was involved. How quickly did it go? Um, I know you've been preparing for it for a long time, but tell us some of the inside story of your moving to the Big 12, because people will be really interested in hearing that. Sure. It, you know, we started, um, frankly, when I got here, that was one of the prime directives from our board and our administration was to, you know, keep your eyes on the horizon, be prepared for conference realignment. Um, and, you know, Economically, it's something that, it, you know, where we had invested, it was something that we were anticipating and hope would manifest itself. And, it, you know, fortunately it did. But there was a lot of work that went in behind the scenes for, you know, a long, long time to be able to put ourselves in that position. And, you know, one message I would tell people is you think about if you're wanting to make these transitions or put your, your, your institution or programs in that position is the investment starts years in advance. It's nothing that you can just flip a switch and think, okay, hey, we want to do this transition into this league. It doesn't happen like that. It's it's literally it started when we said we're 
building TDECU Stadium. I mean, that was 10 years in advance. But when I got here, now it's been five years, we had put together, frankly, what was the, what looked like a, a political campaign. We did a deep dive into our market, trying to understand what we could deliver within Harris County, the city of Houston and the state of Texas, and um, did a really deep dive of, you know, it was by zip code with alumni demographics, populations, education, meet, uh, average income, things like that. So when we were able to have conversations or were preparing ourselves to have conversations, whether it was, you know, aspirational peers, conference commissioners, whoever it is, TV execs, we were able to impart that information along the way. Now, we all know they're getting pounded with a lot of information like that. So we tried to make it a really short and cut, a concise statement of who we are and what we're doing here and tried to have other people that would help maybe speak to our benefit or on our behalf without really recognizing that they were doing it. You know, industry insiders, people that are maybe not directly affiliated with those transitions that could help advocate for you without necessarily advocating for you. So we were able to kind of post people up all around the process to kind of help tell our story. But by and large, you know, it, it really started a couple of years in advance. You know, you could kind of read the tea leaves. You knew something was going to happen at some point, whether it was out west or in the central U.S., that right. there was going to be some movement. And frankly, you know, when I heard UT and OU, that announcement was coming, I heard probably about two weeks in advance there was a possibility of it. And I'd had some conversations with our board chair and our president, like, you know, just reading the tea leaves, this is what I'm hearing is coming. And they kind of chuckled. And, you know, I was like, oh, that'll never happen. And it, I'll be damned, you know, it was not even a week later or 10 days later, you know, you're getting this news and, you know, I'm getting feedback. How did you know? And it wasn't anything, you know, sentient or anything like that. It just kind of happened. We, you just were able to anticipate what was happening in the market a little bit. So with that movement, with UTNOU departing, it created a vacuum that I knew was our opportunity. And it was going to be, frankly, our, our next, probably last best chance to have an opportunity. And we right. started having conversations with everybody, you know, reaching out to, you know, Again, the presidents of several leagues, uh, 80s, and what's what's really unique about it, and this is one thing I'll say, is it's a very lonely time because you don't necessarily know who you can talk to, who you can genuinely trust, who's sharing accurate information, and what you can share without jeopardizing your own position. And it's not that you don't want to be a good colleague or a good partner or a good friend or ally in this. It's just everybody's got their own interests, and so you get put in this position where you're kind of looking over your shoulder the whole time. And you know, there's conversations that are happening, frankly, with people that maybe you aren't represented with, and you, you're trying to get to them to be able to impart your story without just pounding everybody with 10 phone calls a day. And I think we we struck a pretty good balance with that. But it's, but Pez, you know, it I, is a yeah. lonely time. And I remember at Boston College, when we left the Big East and went to the Atlantic Coast Conference, um, you're getting some of your fans don't like the move. Other fans do. Uh, you don't know. You, you want to present yourself in a real good way, but you're not sure who you can trust and who you can't. And it's a lonely time for the president and the athletic director. It really is. I'm glad to to hear you tell people that. I, I honestly, if if there's one thing I can say is be comfortable being uncomfortable because it's, you're just, you're stuck. It's almost like a coaching search to an extent in the same sense where you got to kind of be tight with your information because you don't want it leaking. But at the same time, you got to tell your story 
and be reaching out to people. And it's just, how do you find, you know, those people that you can communicate with? And, you know, I, I feel like I had one or two donors that probably should charge me by the hour for the counseling they gave me because it just, you're, you're talking through a million different scenarios. And you're right. A lot of people have their own opinions, their own expectations of what that process should yield. And you're in it, you know what you, the outcome is, you know, most probable or most likely or most achievable. And you're trying to manage that. And sometimes you get some outside influences that uh, can derail that expectation. But it's by and large, you know, we, we're very fortunate here. And I think one of the things that matters most, and I'll say this, that really helped me here is the alignment that we have with the institution. Again, our board and our administration are completely supportive of the mission that we're trying to achieve in athletics. And that's that's it's easy to say, but it's not always the case. And genuinely, they they expect athletics to be one of the 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 guiding lights for our institution. And and Renu, our our president, she had been pushing on several primary things, which was, you know, R one research status, Phi Beta Kappa. You know, hopefully in in near term in our future, like chasing P five for us. You know, AU status academically, but the way all those things fit together to help raise the stature of the university. Again, athletics is a very visible component of that. We all know that, but how that is correlated and helped us academically, you know, I, I, this is my own theory, but it's interesting. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, what's happening in the state of Texas with the Puff Fund. Do, are you familiar with that, Gene, the Permit no, University Fund? No, explain that to us, please. So in the state of Texas, there's what's called the Permit University Fund. And principally, it was, it was set up in, you know, the early 1900s. Um, and it was it takes huge swaths of West Texas oil money um, and funds the permanent university fund in the state of Texas. Well, that money is earmarked for two institutions or two systems. That's Texas and Texas A&M. I want to say Texas loosely and, and don't quote me on this, but closely it gets about 800 million a year and A&M gets about 400 million a year. But there aren't any other state institutions in the state of Texas that are able to access those funds. So. It's interesting what happened um, when Texas Know You announced. We all remember uh, the Big 12, uh, Commissioner Bowlesby, and a lot of the current members of the Big 12 were in front of the Senate hearing in the state of Texas talking about um, conference realignment, the impact of Texas Know You leaving, and how that was going to affect the remaining state institutions. If you look at the state of California, it has 10 AU institutions. The state of Texas has three Texas, Texas AM, and Rice. And so as they were talking to the institutions, and this is my own, just my own interpretation, I don't work for these other institutions, this Chris Pesman University of Houston. Um, but what they were talking about is, okay, what's the ability of, you know, the remaining schools to go somewhere else or bring somebody else in? Well, you look at the Pac-12, those are, you know, those are different institutions than the, some of the remaining institutions in the Big 12. And it's not to cast aspersions on anybody, it's just the mindset is different. You know, the Pac-12 is a very academically focused conference. I mean, you high, high-end academic institutions, same thing in the Big 12, but those are just different perception. Again, you know, Tech, Houston are AU institutions, so they don't necessarily at that point weren't necessarily considered, in my opinion, by the Pac-12 because they didn't have the same academic profile or personality. The outcome of all this is now the state is sitting here and saying, hey, the byproduct is going to be is now they're talking about creating another possible puff fund that could benefit Texas Tech and University of Houston and the next set of emerging universities. And again, the genesis, and, and this is, again, my opinion, is that conversation started with conference alignment and the need then to make sure our institutions 
and look like those other institutions so they had the adaptability to move if that need arose. And so we're sitting here today and Renew is, is in Austin, um, you know, championing a, a billion dollar puff fund for the University of Houston. And by all indications, it's, it's in a very healthy position that it could get funded here in this legislative cycle in the state. And that is the power of what happens and the visibility of what athletics can generate. And maybe I'm overstating it and it's an athletic director thinking that we have sway in so many ways, but it's not hard, in my opinion, to draw the correlation between that conversation and then what is occurring right now in Austin and, and the genesis of what could be a very sizable moment or financially for some other institutions in the state of Texas. No, I think that's great. Uh, thank you for explaining that to us. Uh, I, I hope I, I did it right. It's complicated. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't know that. I know a lot of other people didn't know that. You know, Chris, you mentioned earlier that preparation for movement to the Big 12 or to the Pac-12 conference started 10 years ago. And I think that's true with uh, Central Florida. I think it's true with, true with BYU. It's certainly true with, with, with Houston um, and uh, Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati has done a terrific job with facilities. As you're looking at things, how do you prioritize <laughs> As you've said before, you've got a list of things that you have to get ready for in going to the to the Big 12. How do you discipline yourself to prioritize things at the top and get those done first? Yeah, it, you know, we we created, you know, an operating template, for lack of a better term, a, a, a discipline sheet of, OK, here are the things that we know we have to attack to give us to give ourselves a chance to get through this transition. And again, it. For us, it started with the RevGen opportunities. We've got to continue to enhance and build out our revenue generation units. We've been, by and large, I don't want to say, um, and this is, we've got some great people that work in there, but we're, you know, our bench is really short. We have to continue to add talent um, into those units. Our revenue generating programs, obviously everybody knows you always have to invest in football and basketball because of the returns on them, but even more so, through this process for us, because, you know, I would say the four new members coming in as you're trying to catch up to everybody else from a budget standpoint, you have to continue to ensure that those two revenue producing units are, 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 are operating as efficiently as they can. And it's interesting, Gene, you know, when I got here, our operating budget was, you know, call it $53 million. We had some stuff that was off the books that we put back on because we wanted to reflect that our budget was closer to, uh, you know, a P5 level than it was to a G5 level. So we loaded everything into, and it got us to about $70 million. Well, you know, we, what we did when I first got here is we took the bottom half of the big 12 and the bottom half of the pick of the PAC 12 and that operating budget was about 83 and a half million dollars. And this was a few years ago. We knew naturally over the course of time that was going to increase, you know, we're looking at in the next three years, we're going to go from about uh, $78 million to $100 million in year five of the Big 12 will be about between 112 to $115 million. And that's in expenses. And wow. I got to make sure. Yeah. And so I've got to sit here and make sure that, okay, how are we going to fund this? Because we've been heavily subsidized by the university and we have to walk down that subsidy in a very meaningful way to be able to be financially healthy and stand on our own two feet. We'll knock our subsidy down in the, in the first year of the Big 12 by about 30%. We'll have it by year three easily is, is our projection. So we're going to 
we're going to get ourselves into a position where we're we're much more healthy. And you know, I can look at faculty across campus in the eye and and not feel as guilty as I do every day um, right. because of the subsidies that we get. But that's what to me is so exciting because then that gives us a lot more freedom to operate and to aggressively build up many of the sports programs that I know that we want to continue to be successful in. And um, that's, that's, you know, we all love winners and we want to be winning in every sport. And uh, we got a lot of work to do to give ourselves a chance to do that, especially with the level of competition we're going to be facing. Let's talk a minute about the, the city of Houston. Um, I know when Howard Schnellenberger went to Miami, he put a line uh, on Dade County down there, and he said, "We're gonna, we're gonna keep everybody home. That's our goal." Um, you have some great football, high school football and basketball in the city of Houston. Is one of your goals to keep as many as those men and women uh, in town at the University of Houston? Because there's a lot of talent there. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Um... Kelvin's done an exceptional job of doing that. He's signed, I think, four of the last five players of the year out of the city of Houston. And you can see the success that we have keeping those kids at home, not just in a conference or a local level, but at a national level. The talent exists here. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about being back in Texas and in the city of Houston. You know, college sports, high school sports, it's cultural here. It's something that is ingrained, in, you know, Friday night, you're going to a high school game. That's what matters. Um, and so, is that then you, the talent level is there for us to be able to, you know, keep our kids home in every sport and compete at the national level at the highest level. You know, one of the things that I, I, I has been really an opportunity for us is the transfer portal. You know, if a kid naturally, some kids just want to leave because they want to get away from home, but the amount of kids that we continue to, we don't ever sever a relationship with a kid. Hey, you don't want to come here. We understand you want to go somewhere and try something else. Well, our coaches have been pretty, thoughtful about it, you know, how they approach that process. If a kid says, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go to XYZ university in this state, you know, they don't burn a bridge with them. They keep them a, a positive relationship because more often, you know, those kids have bounced back and, you know, Dana particularly, I think about half our class has been transfers of kids that have been around the city or in the state that have come back to us and the talent acquisition that we've been able to get through that to raise the bar of our, of our programs from a talent standpoint has been very significant. You know, I think Kelvin, the way he's operating and the, and the success they've had recruiting, you know, they're getting out of necessarily having to have transfers. Maybe they're plugging in a spotter here, here or there, but the, the high level high school talent they've been able to attract again, they, they focus on the kids from Houston and then they, they, they rifle shot national kids. Um, that has worked for us. And it's something that, you know, we will continue to lean, lean into keeping our kids home and, and then trying to bring them back home because there's so much talent here. And these kids, you know, by large, you know, one kid brings 10 parents or family members to a game. That's what you build off of. And, and going back also to just moving football back on campus. And I know it's not a direct correlation to the question you asked, but, you know, we weren't getting a lot of kids when, we, when I played in the Astrodome. Students weren't going. It just wasn't a thing. Now, you know, 5,000 kids are coming to every football game. Every one of our student tickets are claimed. I mean, that's part of one of the fun parts we get to work through is 
how do we button up our student claim process to make sure that we are getting the right people into the building and not getting resold? These are first world problems that I'll take all day long. But, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But we get, you know, we're, we're building our alumni base and by and large, we're, we're a much younger institution. Our demographic is, you know, we're 27 to 35 as far as the bulk of our graduates. And so what we're leaning into is not necessarily the next five years, but the next 15 to 20 years, because as our, as our alumni are growing into, you know, being a student, coming to games, buying a single game, transitioning them into a single a season ticket holder, then transitioning them into a donor. That's, you know, we've got a little bit longer eye on it. We're looking at 10, 12, 15 years because that's where our growth chart shows. But, you know, the incremental growth that we're seeing year over year because of people that are accustomed now to coming to games and it matters to them is what we're seeing literally right now with the numbers that we've seen play out over the last 10 days. You know, the other thing that drives students is you're playing a more, well, you're, you're playing old rivals. You're playing Baylor, you're playing Texas, you're playing Texas Tech. Um, I'm sure that a lot of the, your students' friends went to all those different schools. And so now there's some some real pride in, in beating some of those other Texas teams that you had great rivalries with. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, the first time we play Texas, Baylor, you know, TCU, we haven't played TCU since uh, 2007, I want to say. I mean, these are games that our fans have been yearning for and never were able to make it work either through regular season games or bowl games. And and frankly, you know, I get it. There was some animosity there with the way things broke down with the Southwest Conference. And uh, we've got a we've got a lot of scars here that we're looking forward to uh, working ourselves out of as we transition to this new phase of competition for us and, and renewing these old rivalries. That's great. We are out of time on this week's podcast. I'm your host, Gene DiFilippo. I want to thank our guest, Chris Pesman, for being with us. And I want to thank all of you out there. Thanks for your time this time. And we'll see you next time.